episode 51 of Gaming and BS, sponsored by darktheater.net. Good start to the show. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a podcast about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back, folks. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. Intro didn't even run out. This is a starting par for the course, man. It is. Cannot get Sean got a new mixer, and then he started soundproofing his little... um, studio at home and everything is all looking real sexy and professional and uh first thing that happened the last two times is can you hear me and i'm just mouthing yes over and over goes shit i can't hear you and then he flips out for about 15 minutes it's fun to watch yeah it's really really great um super awesome let's get into this thing shall all right let's uh you can't oh you can't hear me now i can yeah that's weird okay all right (laughs) my bad just a little little adjustment there all right uh, announcements. Let's get into that. I want to do it. I put this out there. So I wanted to thank episode 50. You've probably listened to this, uh, or episode 50 are, are, you know, I guess close to one year, but the 50 milestone. And I wanted to thank everybody one for everybody for listening to us, put up with us, uh, uh, utter BS for 50 episodes and shout outs to those that left us audio well wishes and then in no particular order, because we didn't really call them out. And some people could hear them and may know who they are. But uh, just to, to run those down quick, Kevin Keneally, Roger Brasslett, Cthulhu, Casey McKenzie, Joe Swick, Christian Serrano and Ron Blessing, Nathan Ponke, Willow and Tim, and Chris D. Chris, you know who you are. I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name. I know who you are, Professor Egghead. And then Mr. Dicebag himself, Michael Aldhauser from Great Out Productions. So thanks so much. I know, uh, you know, you got to record and send it to us, and that was really nice. I appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. It was. It was really cool. Yeah. Anything to add uh, for announcements, Brett, man? No, I think that's about it. We had a lot of fun on episode 50 with the uh, boys from Misdirected Mark and the and uh, everyone chiming in like that was really, really cool. I suppose we should thank those guys, too. Nah, they got enough last time. All right. Fair enough. Misdirectedmark.com, I think, is their website. Check them out. I think it is. Could be. Google them. Podcast. Misdirected Mark. They'll come up. Bill and Chris. Good guys, as always. All right. So let's get into, we got an update from, uh, update from the game hole. From the game hole and special this week, we're bringing in Alex Kammer directly from the game hole live. Alex, are you there, Alex? I am. I've climbed out to be able to join you. How are you guys? Thanks Good. for joining us, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. So we we wanted to bring Alex on the show again. This is like number three, right? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like in SNL, when you hit five, you get a jacket. <laughs> I can't wait to see your level five prize. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of which, remind me to talk about the level prizes. That's a thing for level attendees at GameholeCon. That's a that, good reminder. Okay. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so uh, pin that, make sure we get to that. But the reason we wanted Alex on the show, not only to talk about Gamehole and some of the updates that are going on, and it's November 6, 7, and 8, but to also have him join us for the whole episode, 
that kind of say, you know, Alex isn't just the director of Game Hole. We talk about he is a true gamer, but we're going to have him prove it as being a, a part of the show this evening. That uh, challenge accepted. There awesome. <laughs> so, Alex, what's going on with Game Hole? Where do you want to start? Oh, man, let's see. We're uh, It's kind of that back-to-school time of year, which means that things uh, around uh, Game Hole, Con, Command, Central start to heat up. And uh, the uh, most important one is that event registration goes live here shortly, uh, September 5th at noon Central Standard Time. All of our... Glorious attendees get to peruse this massive games list uh, and pick what they want to play when they come to GameholeCon. And that's really exciting. It's super fun to watch the whole thing go down. Uh, and what, what have you got, Alex? You got, like, I, does he have like three three events, right? I think there's like three or four events. <laughs> three or four? Yeah, last time I was talking to you guys, I was really excited about the fact that we had crossed the 500 game mark, which is an insane number. We're, I just checked this morning, and we're at uh, in the low 700s. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. And uh, and that's, I mean, that's scheduled stuff. That's not like, you know, people wanting to just there's going to be people in the halls. There's going to be gaming. There's oh, a board game stuff. There's yeah. so much stuff going that, down. That does not include any of the open gaming. That does not include anything at the, the Gen Con Free Games Library. It doesn't include any of the demos, and we have six or seven demo tables that are going constantly. I mean, it's just nuts, man. And uh, so, to uh, uh, we did a walk through the our space at the Alliant Energy this uh, on Friday of last week, and you know, with our charts and looking where all the tables are going to go and stuff like that. It's it's you know, especially Saturday, that place is filled. I mean, we have we just we can't take any more Saturday games. We at, we're at capacity, which is something. I didn't think we would say uh, our first year at the Atlanta Energy Center. Um, so uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, so, which, which is so awesome for our attendees. I mean, they get to, you just look at this games list. There is such a variety. I mean, there's something for everyone. If it's however, however boutique of a, of a RPG player you are or with board games uh, and, you know, even really in the miniatures, we have a solid selection. I mean, there are some very uh, obscure games that are being uh, put out there in addition to tons and tons of the mainstream stuff. So it, it's really awesome. I kind uh, of keep saying this, but I wish I could figure out a way to attend this con instead of have to run it. But uh, so it goes. That's actually pretty cool because one of the things that Sean and I have talked about this before is that sometimes at a con like a game hole, it ends up being a D&D Pathfinder con mm. with a smattering of maybe a Call of Cthulhu here or one indie game type of thing. So it sounds like we've got plenty of really cool shit for loads of people, regardless of where your niche is, there's stuff going down. For sure. And we're really big on the indie scene. In fact, that's one of our focuses this year is to support and uh, promote local gamers, uh, local game designers. Uh, and so we've got a bunch of folks that are from uh, the Midwest and specific Wisconsin who have uh, written some awesome stuff, some board games and some RPGs who are going to be running their stuff. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's, there are some titles here, and I, I'm not going to bore everyone by going through the list, but that you just won't see anywhere else. It, you just won't. Uh, and uh, and then, but yes, we have tons of D and D and Pathfinder, and but it, but also the other big uh, RPGs. We have an unbelievable uh, array of uh, DCC. I, I think we have something like thirty DCC events. That's pretty far out. I think my buddy. I, I think my buddy Dave Beatty's coming up from South Carolina. Yes, he, he's coming up from. He goes to Gary Con all the time, and I think mm-hmm. he's coming up for the for Game Hall. That rings a bell. I think I've seen his name come through. Uh, Hackmaster, which I think is a great game, very underrated game, uh, sort of in the mainstream RPG world. Uh, we have quite a bit of that. Uh, so you know, 
and and then smaller. I mean, down to Bushido, and <laughs> I mean, just there's some. Uh, we have some micro light, uh, just stuff games that you don't Damn. see anywhere. Uh, I think I'm one of four people I've ever met that have played Bushido, so that's pretty <laughs> cool. That that's there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. I've got uh, I've got some of that stuff. That's a cool game. I, I'd like to play that again sometime too. But uh, yeah, so, so that's from- that's the big that's the big event horizon for us is uh, uh, games uh, game selection taking place. But we're constantly doing. You know, there's other stuff being added. I think uh, we, we've I, I've, I know I. We've talked about this separately off air about uh, this mystery dinner theater uh, thing we're doing now that uh, we have a, a, a group of players who are coming in and they have a ballroom at the Sheridan, which is right next door to the Alliant Energy Center. And they're doing a Star Trek versus Star Wars dinner theater mystery event. That's uh, awesome. And it should be really fun. Yeah, it should be pretty cool. And, uh, you, you know, it's uh, just diversifying uh, what the kind of things and entertainment the vehicles that we have at uh, at the con it's, it's super fun to explore all that stuff so yeah it's exciting so no, the rodney the rodneys are are coming up pretty soon too right from entries and stuff yep that's yep good point uh yeah early september here i'm going to do this from memory i believe it's september 8th uh, tuesday september 8th if i'm doing this correctly from memory is when uh everyone's submissions for our game design awards have to be in uh and we have a nice array of submissions i was pleasantly surprised when i peaked and saw how many submissions in each category, uh, board game uh, category and an RPG adventure, how many submissions we have, which is really cool for year one. Uh, and uh, I think the the fact that we have a, a cash prize and uh, this really sweet statue award that you win, in addition to a bunch of other cool prizes, uh, is, is hopefully driving that. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So if anyone's out there working on their uh, Rodney Award uh, game design uh, uh, submission, it's you got to wrap it up soon and, and get it submitted. What's the deadline on that, Alex? September 8th. Uh, yep. I believe it's 11 a.m. our time, I think, is if I'm doing that correctly. But it's certainly on the site. I can pull it up here and, and, and verify that. But I believe that's what it is. So Rodney submission due September 8th, approximately 11 a.m. For those that want to take part in that competition. Um, yeah. What about level up? What's the level up? Wow. What? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was at Gamehole last year. It was my first year, and I saw guys roll, walking around with, you know, Gamehole Con badges said level two because mm-hmm. they came to the first one there at the second one. So I'm I'm down a level, that right? Would I'm be only me. gonna be Yeah, I know. <laughs> Damn it. I'm only yeah. gonna be level two this year. Yeah. So we decided that at level three is the first year where you get some extra stuff. Uh, and then going forward, so level three will start to gain something. We're we're coming up with uh, we have this. We're designing a cool patch that all the level threes get. Uh, and then going forward, it's going to be a more sumptuous award. You know, like a well, I won't. Well, we don't have level fours. They don't exist yet, so we won't. Uh, we don't have to reveal that until next year. But so basically, just for those out there listening, is that every year you go in, you level one, level two, level three. So you show up this year, you level one. I will get to be level two. Sean, of course, having been there on the ground floor up, will be level three. So whatever the awesome sumptuousness is there, yep, you'll, you'll get to partake. That'll be awesome. Precisely. Yeah, we keep track of it. And it's a, you know, it's one of those things that uh, uh, we just. I mean, we've talked about this before, guys, and we just we, we put this together uh, as a con that we want to go to, and that's why it has all these kind of weird, cool, but kind of time-wasty things, <laughs> and that's one of them. This is, it's a hassle, but it's cool, so we do it. Speaking of which, it's, it's not a time-wasty thing by any means. That's not what I'm hinting to, but um, an extra addition is you, you guys have entered the publishing realm. Ah, and you're Very true, and this is and something's going to happen at Game Hole around this. 
Mm-hmm. You paired up with you paired up with some guy who's kind of new to the industry too. What's his name? Ed something? Yeah, God, what's that kid's name? He shows some real promise too. Uh, yeah. What's his <laughs> name? Oh yeah, Ed Greenwood is good. He's that's a, right. He's, he's authoring our first module. Uh, so uh, we became good friends with Ed last year, and he's one of the coolest guys ever. And uh, he just wants to help in any way that he can. Uh, in fact. You know his wife is 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 quite ill, uh, and despite that, he is coming to Gamehole Con. He canceled his Gen Con appearance, uh, but he's coming here. This is the only convention that he's going to go to. Uh, so that speaks to uh, how cool he is with about with us, which is great. But uh, so he he said that he would write a module for us as long as we gave him the the basics, the block, the story. If we came up with the story points, he would write it. And so you know we've been playing games for so many years and writing, playing our own uh, homegrown, homebrewed stuff, that was pretty easy to come up with a, uh, uh, the, the story points for a, a kind of a quirky module. And uh, Ed wrote it in this classic Greenwood prose. Uh, and then we uh, put it together. And, you know, I'll tell you what's challenging, which is subtly challenging, is, is putting together, uh, first of all, the layout so it makes sense, so it actually flows and reads correctly. Uh, editing is a hassle, but putting together good maps that make sense, that are logical, that are clear. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I've always taken it for granted when you open up a module on the inside front cover is, you know, level one of the dungeon and the back is something, to, uh, inside back cover is something else. I thought, oh, we'll just throw those together. That is that is far easier said than done. Uh, but anyway, we just sent it off to the uh, printer uh, uh, today, in fact. The final files went out. So we are going to print uh, 200 of them. That'll be our first printing. And the first 100 will be signed and numbered by Ed. Uh, so how, how do I get one of those? Those will be for sale at GameholeCon. Okay. I got to be there like Wednesday night. <laughs> camped out. <laughs> make sure I grab my copy. Jeez, one day, whole day ahead of time. Yeah. Whatever it takes, man. That That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. And we're uh, – so we're – we're, that's going to be our first. Our first one. We actually have a, a logo, Gamehole Gamehole Publishing, and uh, we're going to start producing more stuff because we all have all the guys in the group have uh, uh, have the different stories to tell, and we want to we want to have a vehicle to to uh, to print to create these modules and maybe even a setting someday. Who knows? Uh, so yeah, it's just something to, something fun. All right. So uh, event registration is coming up. Exactly. Exactly. Is September fifth. September Dude. 5. This drops on the 1st, so after this you get it. If you get in on this episode quick enough, you'll get the reminder. If not, you're going to be like, oh, shit, i got to go back and register. Yeah, so you have to buy a badge first, and once you have a badge purchased, then you can take advantage of our uh, pretty nifty wish list feature, which means you can go through our, games, our game catalog, build your schedule into a wish list, and when the clock strikes 12 at noon, uh, September 5th on Saturday, you uh, click, uh, I, I believe it says add to cart, and bam, off it goes, and uh, you get your games, and that's that. It's a pretty pretty slick process. We're pretty pretty pr- proud of what we've done, uh, because this is our first year using a wish list, and it's uh, worked really well yeah, so Yeah, I, I pimped that out, because I'm on the VIG, so I've registered, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it worked really well. We had we I gosh, I'm, I'm I know I'm jinxing myself and us here, but uh, we had no problems. It went uh it went really well. So So any last updates that you want to provide to the listeners before we move on, Alex? Uh 
Boy, I don't think so. You know, we're uh, the games again. If if anyone's out there who is thinking, boy, it'd be fun to run something at GameholeCon this year, uh, make sure you submit your game for Friday or Sunday, <laughs> because there's no more room it's, on Saturday. It's not going to happen. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, but that's just the reality. But we're we're filled to the gills on uh, Saturday, uh, and again, uh, if you if you are going to run a game, get them in immediately. So. Uh, we have it's a real gold rush on the when games open up on the fifth, and if you are a GM DM uh, judge, uh, you want to have all our attendees see your game on uh, on September fifth. But beyond that, nope, I'm good. All right. You know the last thing the last thing I'll throw on before we walk off, and this is just for everybody out there. I had an issue with my my uh, my game hall registration at the beginning, and I emailed out the support. And uh, Alex, you got back to me, and. Um, I think one of the other uh, one of the other guys said, "Hey, I, I'll work with you on this." And Royce, it, Royce, I think. Royce. It was Royce. It was it was great, and it wasn't just because I know you type of thing. And I've talked to other people that, oh, I had an issue, but I emailed in support and fixed. It turned out it was, of course, my fault. I had fat fingered something in my initial setup, and I couldn't remember what it was. Royce, Royce, very pro- professionally and politely. Uh, oh. Yes, absolutely. But it was really cool. I've I've been to other conventions and tried to work with support in other areas, and you usually end up with somebody who doesn't know shit from Shinola. And in this case, um, everybody who's working the support for for Gamehole knows what they're doing. They get you to the right people, and you're going to be taken care of. So, just and that's not just you know, hey, Brett knows the guy. No, it's dead serious. This is this is really cool. It was really nice to be treated that way. So, thank you. Well, appreciate that. And that's you know, there's nothing worse than the dreaded form email response and uh then thank you for emailing game hole gone we'll get back to you (laughs) and then then silence for a few days and then someone who's too busy and disinterested in what your question is and uh yeah i know it's it's uh we're we're very proud of of being able to do that and we're gonna and we're gonna keep doing that uh and we're gonna make sure that we can keep uh, providing that level of service uh and that if that means eventually someday capping the number of attendees that's going to happen because we don't want it to get to the point where we're a, a corporate pain in the ass kind uh, of deal with. So Sweet. I appreciate that, Brett. Thank you. No problem. All right. So let's go on to random encounter. Random encounter where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media from you, Mr. or Mrs. or Miss listener. First one. You want me to take these, Brett, man? Oh, you can take the first one. Go for it. All right. The first one, Mr. Star Wars, a.k.a. Wayne Humphleet writes on episode 48, how to make a D&D movie. Because we were talking about, you know, Brett brought well, it up in Diary. There, yeah. There's a, new, there's a new D&D movie coming, and there's already been three. And I said, how can you make a D&D movie? Like, what are you going to do? And, our, and your argument is always, it's called Lord of the Rings. Shut the fuck up and sit down. Kind of. Kind of? That's what, that's what you tell me. Uh, I thought I'd tell you, but I, did, I try to save face in front of our listeners. I don't oh, okay. All right. Carry on. He says, Creates a, create a sound plot that involves the tropes of dungeon crawling, iconic monsters, and iconic classes without dumbing it down like the first movie, perhaps even using an established setting like Eberron or Forgotten Realms. I don't know. And then he, he did go on to correct me about Age of Rebellion because I couldn't figure out the Star Wars um, RPG that came out before. Well, after Edge of the Empire. So he, he corrected me because that's who he is. I was going to say, if anybody knows Star Wars, I don't know anyone who knows it better than Wayne Humphrey. So there Thank, we go. Thanks, Mr. SW. Well, I 
isn't it true that the new movie that they're developing is set in the Forgotten Realms? I thought that's what is I it read. really? That's what I thought. I would not doubt it. I I believe I have heard that as well. I wouldn't doubt it. It would make sense because I believe they're managing it more and shit. Like I know what I'm freaking talking about here, but I, I think they're managing it more as a as a property where they want all the tie-ins. That's my understanding. You know, you've got D and D five E, how it ties into the books to the to the computer games, to the movies and all that stuff. So it's a universal experience, my words, where you can go from one area of entertainment to the other and have uh, have a good connection. So if you came into the movie and went, oh, I want to try this game. Holy shit, it's the same thing. I think that's what they're going for. It makes sense. I mean, regardless of what uh, edition of D&D is your, your bag, uh, if you're a D&D player, you know what places like Suzale and Waterdeep and Thay, those are all things that resonate with all of us. I mean, maybe they're, they're just the oldest of the old od and who haven't bothered to look at anything in 30 years, possibly not. But leaving those folks aside, uh, you know, you have such a, a rich setting already. Why not? Why not use that? And uh, then you don't have to uh, make it, you don't have to, I think your, your, your listener who said dumb it down, that's a perfect way. You don't have to say this is, try to make it look like the, the game of D&D. It's just it's a, a cool movie in that setting. In a fantasy setting, that's a, that would be a successful movie. So, quite frankly, I think Sean, you're right. The Lord of the Rings, essentially, well, right. <laughs> if you could do if you could do something that well, uh, or something that's that has that cool of a a plot arc set in the Forgotten Realms, man, that would be a huge win. Jared, for a yeah, movie. huge, absolutely, absolutely. Drizzt, Drizzt movie. Yeah. How many freaking diehard movies did we have? Just make it a dark elf with a panther, and off you go. I mean, yeah. It's not like it's not like we don't love our recurring heroes. And Ro- Robert rolls it in. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the. I mean, the the the. Uh, there's there's no reason why they can't take uh, a page from from Marvel here, and and look what they've done. Uh, the the they they can use those those uh, those iconic figures from D and D like just uh, and imagine the the uh, the. The outcry and the the and the the, uh, the 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 good press that they get from the casting of people like that, you know how people get excited about the casting of a of a major comic book uh, figure. You know why not take advantage of of those those figures if it's from the uh, Bob Salvatore novels or the Greenwood novels or who's ever. Um, you know there's no reason not to use those characters. I, I hope do, they do that anyway. And they do it right. Then I get my Netflix original D and D version of Daredevil. Right. So. Oh, man. That would be bad. So do you do you when you cast, do you give preferential treatment to those that are gamers? Huh. So it's Vin Diesel plays all roles. Vin Diesel It's a one man stage show. Vin Diesel, Will Wheaton, and um I, I don't know. somebody else. <laughs> Pick somebody. Felicia Day as Felicia Day, right. thank you. <laughs> I was I, I saw her face, I couldn't come up with the name, but there there, that's the that's the trio. Off they go, go kill a Dracolich or something. There you go. All right. Uh, you want to read Scott's? Sure. Scott's, Scott Disembowel. Ooh. That's not his last name, but he goes by that. I know. He's written First before, there, actually. That's true. First, there was another semi-pro Savage Worlds podcast. We're on G Plus and YouTube as a Savage Worlds GM hangout on air. we got a link in our show notes. Like us, love us, or hate us, uh, we tote Scott or Savage on every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Second, they did a money shot or episode last week. Our views echo yours. So, hearkening back to the money discussion that Sean and I had a while ago, we we're talking about silver standard and some other things, how to make money, 
um, of more value in your uh, fantasy setting or in any setting, quite honestly. Um, Also, modern gaming just falls flat for most people. This is an escapist hobby that normally means the further from reality, the quote-unquote better. I ran a few modern no-twist one-shots, and while interesting, they do tend to fall flat. Probably work best as a limited episode serial. Um, Realism, simply unattainable and untenable in RPGs. Most players think they know about, say, how a fire firefight works yeah not so much for 99 percent. most gamers think they know how foreign cultures work again not so much for 99 percent of folks that's where we use a verisimilitude tropes and stereotypes they simply work with the 99 percent reality i love how he spelled out verse verse verisimilitude like broke it down for me because yeah he knows i cannot read phonetic breakdown yes and pronounce it so Scott covered a couple different episodes. We talked about money, modern gaming, and realism. Um, I think episodes 47, 48, and 49, respectively. And, <clears throat> excuse me, where he's coming from there is that I, I get it. You know, with um, the modern gaming stuff, sometimes it does fall flat. We had a really good discussion um, recently in our gaming and, and BS um, community. We'll probably talk about it next episode. One of the folks we were talking about different ways to do kind of modern gaming in more of a shorter a shorter time span the the kind of one shot the limit, limited episode serial what Scott's talking about here we'll get into that next time and the realism yeah i get it i mean i only know a very hand, a very small handful of men and women who've been in a real honest to god firefight before and um they usually don't want to talk about it uh, oddly enough but anyway it's um i think i think he's right there's a certain level of realism that we're just flat not going to hit in gaming it's just never going to happen and instead of trying to pretend to make something as realistic as possible, you kind of got to go with the genre emulation and roll with it. Well, there you have it from Brett. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, Scott, and just so for Scott's info, I know he's probably talking about when we, we pimped Christian's Savage Bloggers podcast, but uh, for Scott's reference, I actually binge-watched um, some of the uh, Savage Worlds podcasts that they talk about in the Savage Worlds GM Hangout while I was like painting my my studio and putting it together. I had it, you know, it would end and I would queue up the next one and hit play. So uh, Jared uh, Gunning, Savage Daddy, uh, hosts that and Scott's on there. And it's a good show. I mean, if you're Savage Worlds, so I would I will correct myself. If you're a Savage Worlds gamer, Check out those guys, and I say those guys as in Savage Worlds GM Hangout on air. Uh, again, like he pimped it out on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Eastern time, as well as the Savage Bloggers Network. If you get those two, there's no reason why you will not you'll have any questions about Savage Worlds. Alex, you a Savage Worlds gamer at all? You done yeah, any of that? Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I agree with uh, your comments, sort of generally about modern settings. Uh, but if I'm going to play in a modern game. Uh, Savage Worlds is one of the three that I would consider doing that would be either, for me, uh, is Savage Worlds, Call of Cthulhu, or Top Secret are the three that I I like. Top Secret, Uh, man. Yeah, 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 I like it. It's fun. Uh, But uh, the, 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 and I also agree that modern settings and lack of real low weirdness is really best in a one-shot setting. I mean, when I run games at conventions, I almost always run a a Call of Cthulhu version of some sort. Uh, And because if you have new players who, uh, you know, obviously don't know each other, don't know me, and you're just going to set up, pick up and play something, to be in a setting where everyone knows what's going on 
uh, you know, be it, oh gosh, you, you could go from, you know, ancient Rome to World War II. Everyone has some idea, some mind pictures of what those things look like, so you don't have to spend a lot of time building uh, the, the setting uh, in, a, in a con one-shot. So that's why I always run uh, Call of Cthulhu and, and do it in one of those settings. Uh, but I don't think also it's that modern gaming lends itself to campaigns, because who wants to spend that much time in you know, Gaslight New Orleans? I mean, I, I think it's cool to do a, a, a game there, but I don't want to spend two months there. But that's just me. You know, and I so for so for for campaigning, uh, you know, the fully immersive D and D Pathfinder, whatever it is, DCC, whatever it is that, but full of the full of the you know caves and monsters and all the tropes that we love so much. For me, that that's what where the campaign has to be grounded. I uh, I, I don't think I could do a, a Call of Cthulhu campaign. Well, that would make sense anyway. You couldn't keep characters alive long enough to get through one. But uh, see, if you've ever tried to play Master of Nanolithotep, you know you don't get past like the first couple pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll exactly. tell you what, though. What you say there harkens back to something I've heard uh, Ken Height say on Ken and Robin. Basically, Ken always says, start with Earth, mm. right? If you're going to start with Earth, everyone has an immediate point of reference. So I can totally see that for a con game especially in that. You don't need a whole lot of special anything. Did you go through high school? Yes. Do you understand the concepts of Greek and Roman times? Yes. Good. We're we're ready to roll here. You don't have to go too much too deeper into it than that. Yeah, and you, that's yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Sean. Oh uh, no. By I was just gonna say that yeah, East Texas University, which I was not a fan of. Okay, so for those of you that aren't in the in the loop, uh, it was a Kickstarter in East Texas University is a Savage World setting mm-hmm. that takes place. Uh, you 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 start out as college students. It's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer for uh, Savage Worlds. Yeah, and and so now I'm kind of like, eh, it didn't really appeal to me, and then I'm thinking, well, you know, I didn't, I never went to college, but I think I could fake the the funk in an RPG. <laughs> and I think My it'd be fun. My uneducated partner could totally fake it. This is great. Yeah, well, there was it was cool. Somebody brought it up on on one of Scott's on the Scott's uh, one of Scott's episodes during Savage Bloggers GM uh, Hangout on air. They were talking about. Um, Something happened, and one of the guy's uh, characters didn't want to get into trouble because he was trying to make the quarterback of the football team, and so that plays a role in how you handle a particular situation and all this other stuff, which was – I could just see a bunch of, like, grown people playing, like, college well, students. You that, that's my buddy Lenny who's running a game right now using yeah. the World of Darkness scenario and we're all high school kids. And it is wonky. We had a bunch of 40-year-old <laughs> men sitting around trying to think – how do I, I get the babe? Eight, when I was 18, <laughs> what was I doing? What would I do? Something if, really stupid. It most well, like, which well, is what I, my character ends up doing a lot of stupid shit. A game that I'm uh, that I'm wanting to run, I'm still kicking around. I may, I don't know if I'll maybe, maybe I'll have it ready by Gary Khan, but we'll see. Is a Call of Cthulhu one shot based on uh, freshmen in college rushing a fraternity. Uh, because who likes those guys, first of all? No one. <laughs> so having them all get ground into little bits and fucking meatballs by the end of it, everyone wins. And everyone expects to get killed, and they'll love it. And they'll go insane, and they'll vomit all over each other because they can't hold their beer and all the usual fr- fat frat fun you can make fun of them. It'll be great. So I just have to write it. Well, it kind of writes itself, really. But oh, kind of. <laughs> I've got the images in my head right now. Like... I mean, just like, yeah, just having them ripped apart by tentacles would be great. And... and... Scene. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm in. I don't care what it yeah. fucking costs. Get in the can, dude. I'm in. I want in. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our sponsor, shall we? Get it. All right. Tired of reaching into a dirty sack to get your dice? Do you have to dump all of your dice on the table just to find the exact one you need? 
Have a dice bag that is drab, boring, and just plain bleh? Well, get yourself a dice bag from Great Out Productions. Michael Althauser, not only the owner, but a gamer, makes quality handmade dice bags that can be printed with a custom logo, or you can choose from ones in his gallery. Great Out Productions, maker of fine dice bags. Use the promo code GAMINGNVS to receive 10% off his website, greatout.etsy.com. Follow the link in our show notes. <laughs> Shit. I totally effed that all up. What did, what did you do? I don't know. It's like I got my finger over the button and it slipped and hit the button for too soon. Ah, this is work. this is hey this is how we roll, folks. If you don't like this shit, go and listen to <laughs> Misdirected Mark. Don't don't do that. Okay, don't, don't do listen that. to that. I'm just kidding. Well, listen to them. Listen oh, yeah, to them. Yeah. They're good. But also know. listen to us. But also listen to us. All right, hey, let's get hey let's hold on a second. Hey, I got oh, ready for this. Let's get into the topic. Stinger for the topic. Do it. Yeah, they were weird looking. On the counter. That is weird. Don't you think it's weird? A weird naked Indian. All right, Brett. What's the topic of the week? Well, I want to talk about weirdness. Yeah, weirdness. So this hit me when um a cup. So Sean was giving me shit because I start said, you know what? I should pick up Lamentations of the Flame. Princess. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I never give you shit. So Sean was giving me shit, and I said I, when I said I should pick up Lamentation of the Flame Princess, and partly be, it was I've been looking at that game system for a while, and then when uh, Zach Smith's Red and Pleasant Land won in any, I thought, hey, you know, man, I should I should look into that again. That, that kind of got me thinking about it. That shit won like four innies or three. Yeah, I know. Least, yeah. He won a couple of them, and I started thinking about, well, you know, shit, I have Dungeon Crawl Classics. It's got plenty of weirdness in it. Weirdness seems to be this OSRE type of thing. And I'm like, you know, how much weird, though, do I really want to handle? How, how much weirdness will I put into my game anyway? Is that really a shtick, a, a genre, a, a trope, if you will, that I want to lean uh, lean on really hard into my systems? Because quite frankly, I've never run Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. I've not what? done a lot of – I've not done a lot of – Get whole, out. You know, Get out right now. Thanks. <laughs> nice. All right, you can stay. I've not done the whole, you know, aliens crash land, there's laser guns and D&D mashup. There's robots slash sorcery. I've not done the Thunder of the Barbarian thing, right? Or the 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 wackier uh, weirdness pieces that come into some of this some of this environment. And I thought, you know what? Let's let's chat about that a little bit cuz Sean and I have said he's played DCC. I've only read it. I've not played it. It looks like a hell of a good time, but quite frankly, some of the the weirdness meter throws me a little bit. I'm like, if I run it, I don't think I can go quite as weird as maybe the game wants me to, or at least is how I'm reading it. So anyway, that's what I figured I'd chat about today with uh, Alex and and Sean and see what we could figure out. Now, for the record, I don't know about Lamentations of the Princess, uh, of the Flame Princess. I am, I know it is, uh, or it incorporates kind of an OSR feel, or it's (laughs) inspired from OSR, Old I mean, my research into it t- indicates that it's about it's about weirdness, right? It's got the right. the wackiness in it. I've not read in any of the adventures, but if you look at Red and Pleasant Land, that's Alice in Wonderland meets D anD D for lack of a better connection. So, well, they had Dungeon Land. They did. Uh, that's so, true. I I actually have that. I have um, that 
I have a couple of those uh, Gygaxian like uh, modules on my desk. There are two yeah. of them. EX, EX1 and EX2. There you go. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. Uh, there's the Dungeon Land and then Beyond the Magic Mirror or something like that, right, Alex? Precisely, precisely. I love Beyond the Magic Mirror, man. When I, I picked that up as a kid, I thought, whoa, this is this is for reals. It's it's a uh, it doesn't it it plays a little challengingly, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, when I first time I ran it as a kid, I didn't do a very good job. I was a little be, be, it was the material was beyond me at that point, but uh, I, I like that. Now, I so, got, before we get into this, now I want to I want to make sure this is clear for everybody that listens to it. We're not saying weird as in a negative connotation, right? It's weird as no, in not. it's weird as in a little bit. Uh, it's a it's not traditional. I, mean, I don't even know if that's the word. See, I would I would say it's almost like a trope clash, if you will. I mean, oh. I remember. I, re- I look back to the original Shannara trilogy by Terry Brooks, and the way the Shannara world is laid out is basically movie coming a- out. Is there? Holy yes. shit! Didn't series, series, series. Oh, series. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you read the Sword of Shannara, there's a point in there where they encounter this thing. It's this monster that's made of like you, you read it, and it's made of like um, eye beams and whatnot, and so on. And the whole concept behind that world, to my understanding, is that it's Earth in the far future, right? Post-apocalyptic Earth. Post-apocalyptic, absolutely. And it's kind of that that clashing of technology where you have in Dungeon Crawl Classics, you have androids. If you talk about Barrier Peaks, you've got a, a um, spoiler, just in case you have no idea what the fuck we're talking about. You have a spaceship that crashes into a mountain and you encounter robots and Star frontiers type stuff in your AD&D game. Um, so I, to me, it's kind of a, a genre clash where you take some of these sci-fi stuff and even – Taking some of the Cthulhu-like mythos into your fantasy gaming. And normally, to me, weirdness hits in either fantasy or sci-fi, where you've got John Carter of Mars type of sci-fi, where there's this wonky, almost a Cthuloid type of uh, impact in your John Carter type of setting. That, that's how I'm seeing it. Alex, what do you think? Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, if I think of weirdness... It, it's all relative to the setting. So if you have a game that's set in Shannara, I don't think it is weird to have uh, some, some of the, the, those monsters from uh, the, the ancient technology that are somehow still going and have evolved and you'll encounter them. That, in my opinion, is not weird in a Shannara setting. But if you are in a Shannara setting and you encounter a cyborg, that's weird because now you have stepped away from the setting. You've stepped away from things that are typical that you would expect to find in that setting. So for me, that's what weirdness is, is when you drop things from uh, different genres into a setting that it's, would not, you would not expect it to be native there. Um, and so the question is how much of that do you want? And that's, so a, that's a fair point. How do you, so this goes to how do you, how do you present that? How do, how, do you say, hey, we're going to run like a Shannara situation or setting I guess this kind of goes back to a couple episodes Brett and I were talking about where it's like the bait and switch, right? So if you start out, do you, you can bring it to your player's attention and then they'll know what to expect. Well, that was the freak out of Barrier Peaks, right? If you played Barrier Peaks, the Game Master never set it up or the Through the Looking Glass or uh, Beyond the Magic Mirror uh, that Alex and I were chatting about earlier is you don't get to the... um. It wasn't set up like, hey, by the way, table stakes, y'all, we're going to be playing a high weirdness game. No, you just walked in, and next thing you know, 
someone's describing to you a plasma cannon or they're describing to you a spaceship in some weird format or an android, it was kind of not kind of a bait and switch in a way, but more of a um, I, I wouldn't broadcast it to you. It would be my my game master secret that I'd be sneaking into the background. Well, and that's fine. Is that the way you is that the way to go? Or are you going to piss your players off by saying, "Hey, man, I'm sitting down playing D and D." You come across this metal structure that's like it looks like it's half above the the land and half like sunken in. Like I it, think I would go. I would go like sixty forty on people I've met who've played Barrier Peaks. Sixty percent like, "Wow, that was wacky. It was cool. It was a classic. It was weirdness. That's what we expected." And the 40% are like, I was so fucking pissed off when my game master threw that at me. My DM hit me with that. And I'm like, really? Are you fucking kidding? Where are my kobolds and kuatoa and beholders? What the hell, man? Right. So, Alex, if you lay this out on somebody, are you broadcast? Do you broadcast? Like, look, we're going to run into some high weirdness here. I'm talking craziness combining, you know, sci-fi with something, Shannara type of layout, or are you going to quote unquote sneak it in underneath, underneath the radar there? Yeah, I wouldn't sneak it in. I think that uh, all you do is engender potential for disappointment. Then, uh, you know, if it it also depends on how much, if you're going to do, you know, barrier peaks, for for example, is just one module. And it's so, if you wanted to run your players through that, you're, you know, that's, that's, a few sessions of gaming and that's then it's behind you. I think that's okay to spring on someone, I guess. But, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the, the DCC. It wasn't the DCC system. It was the Dungeon Crawl Classics module that they did for 3.5. That was a crash spaceship because I know we played that one. Uh, and it got a little long at the end when you're trying to figure out which access card to plug in the slots and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, man, my... I just want to whack something with my axe, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, so... I, you know, in moderation is certainly my belief when it comes to, especially with space stuff. That's just uh, in, a, in a fantasy setting. With DCC, they have they they do that. I think it's um, shoot. There's Metamorphosis Alpha, but there's yes. also uh, oh god, now I'm gonna there's DCC people crawling out of their skin because I can't remember what it is. Um, but it is there is a um, zine uh, that does more of the sci-fi. That uses the DCC system. And for the life of me, I cannot remember, but the drink spin run guys like Adam and those guys know. Arg. See, for me, if I look at weirdness, there's only a certain level that I that my group will tolerate. Normally, if I'm going to go weird, it tends to be in a Cthulhu or Cthulhu-esque type of environment where it's like, oh, my God, um, Nylothotep or Azathoth or some crazy elder god something or other is doing stuff for reasons only it can possibly understand. So the group's like, well, you know what? It's fucking Cthulhu. It's wacky. It's weird. I get it. The Deep Ones are doing X. Why? Because they're fucking Deep Ones, and Deep Ones do crazy things that mortal men can't comprehend. All right, we'll roll with it. But when you're playing Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green, it's kind of rolled into, again, kind of as we talked about the initial discussion, like, look, we're going to play in Shinar, and therefore it's going to work. But there's a certain level of it, though, that I just can't – if I'm playing D&D, I would hesitate to ever throw an android at somebody, regardless of its viability within my storyline. I mean, I've read um, – Frank Menzer has a series, his Lich Dungeon. I picked up the first um, first book in the Lich Dungeon, the first few levels that he had put out, and I picked this up when I was at GameholeCon last year. And um, you read it, and 
the comp- basically the lich grabs a um a meteor and it, there's like this connection it's backstory stuff right but there's this connection to um to outer space and technology and some of those components and that's kind of how frank drug this um that that was his explanation for why the weirdness existed but there's something in me that when i'm playing a certain genre or setting that i don't and maybe it's my own personal dislike but i think that if i take it if I add too much weirdness in, it's going to freak me out. If, if not my players, I don't necessarily like it. I don't know. Necessarily, I'm not sure why. Mutant Crawl Classics. There you go. We, there you go. Yeah. That's a module. And I think I thought it was a zine as well. Like there's somebody that's putting out kind of the sci fi spin for Dungeon Crawl Classics. But, anyways, there's a link in the show notes I put out there if you're interested. So Sean or Alex, when you guys hear like if I'm going to run a high weirdness game, DCC or Lamentations of Flame Princess or anything like that, do you see it as more of a one shot wonder like, hey, that was a con game. We played this whacked out game. It was kind of crazy. We were androids and robots and I had swords and axes and dwarves and elves. Do you see this being a long term campaign thing or does it feel more to you like a, a shorter term stint? I don't know. Go ahead, Sean. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, uh, I, I can, I'm happy to answer. Man, go for it, dude. Well, uh, I, I think it's a tends to for me uh, a, a shorter stint is, is is preferable. But then again, Brett, I come from it from your standpoint definitely. I mean, in the in the game hole, our our gaming group there is actually a gaming group called the Game Hole uh, that we get together once we can play. We have several mottos, but one of them is no dinosaurs, ninjas, or pirates. Not allowed. Are you serious? Fucking, ninja, fucking ninjas. <laughs> Pirates. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Bring a ninja yeah. to my table. Yeah. Get out. Yeah, Dino- I don't want any of that crap. You I know? Get- and so it's it's fine if you do. If you're going to go play Bushido, great. Then play a samurai. But I, I don't need you know the man in the back black pajamas you know jumping out behind a, a stalagmite in a cave. I'm just yeah, not yeah. interested in that. Okay, so yeah, no. Bring nin- that to my D and D game. You know where the door is. <laughs> that's where you came in. That's where you go out. No dinosaur. No ninja. I get that. But was the with the third Pirates. one? Pirates. Pirates. That's always good stuff in a. RPG. I suppose it's so so overdone. It's yar and all that. It's just I don't know. It just was the, the for a while there. It was every seemed like every supplement coming out was pirate tastic and uh, got a little overloaded with that. But that's that's there's nothing. Pirates aren't weird. Just again a personal problem. Okay, since we're entering well. our own personal <laughs> <laughs> idiosyncrasies here with gaming. Talk about stuff we don't like. What else? Exactly. <laughs> we were talking about being grumpy old men earlier off air. So this is our this is our segue into grumpy old bastard gamers here. But I would, you know, jeez, I, I think you have to. The key to any good game is having a well prepared and uh, passionate uh, judge GM about the source material. So if there's someone who is really fired up about some hard, some like crazy DCC wonk, I'd love to play in that game. I, I played a game with Michael Curtis, uh, at, uh, Gary Con. man, it was awesome. It was weird as hell. I mean, weird, but it was beautifully run. It was obviously well-written and really interesting. I mean, that would be a campaign I would totally play, but I mean, right. Is that, that stands to reason that anyone who knows their material and is good at it, you're going to want to be more inclined to play that game. It's, it's, it's when you, I think you run into problems when, uh, people are, are throwing in weirdness when they don't, when they don't command it as well as they should. And it sort of falls flat and kind of wonky and weird and, and not, not interesting. That, that's just been my experience anyway. So that's, so that's kind of fun because if you think about it, we, sometimes people go, well, it's weird. So there's a damn Android. Yay. There's an Android in the dungeon. No reason. Just an Android. There has to be almost some logic and reason behind it. And I kind of harken back to what I said about Frank Mensner's um, Lich dungeon. It's back 
its backstory as to how some of the weirdness came into the dungeon. But when you read it, you're like, oh, okay, I may or may not groove on how this dungeon is set up, but the backstory makes sense. So therefore, when I encounter something five, six levels down, it harkens to this backstory. So it's it's weird, but the weirdness needs to have a reason to exist. Back. Back. You don't like that, Sean? Hey, but I want to plug Michael Curtis because he writes a lot of DCC adventures. He's, I think, I don't know if he, he may be on staff at Goodman Games, but if you get a chance to play in one of his games, play it. He's, I like him as a GM. Alex, what do you think of him? Oh, outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding. And he's a super good guy. And yeah. uh, he's, uh, he's coming back again this year. Uh, uh, so yeah, that's uh, you should definitely hop on uh, one of his games because uh, boy, he does—he runs a great game, yeah. great game. As far right, as Sean, you don't ditch out on me, man. I asked you a question. Answer me. <laughs> Fine. Uh, I do. Well, their main. See, here's the deal, man. When you start running games and you're like, oh, everything needs an answer. It does, but it doesn't have to be obvious to the players. So if they get into an adventure and you're going to run a dungeon crawl and you're going to throw in some sci-fi stuff, like it, they come across an android, well, the, as a GM, you got to kind of have, you know, what is, why are they there, how are they there, and how is the story developed by the party encountering the android? Now I'm going out on a limb because I am not a big fan of, of genre mashing. As a matter of fact, I've mentioned it on the show before, Shadowrun, one of my big turnoffs was you got trolls and elves and dwarves in a modern cyberpunk setting. I've overlooked it and played the game. Alex actually played with us in one session. And it was it's it's I get over it, but it was a big hang up of mine. But anyways, um there go goes my cats killing people if you can hear them. Anyways, that's my take. I don't know. I think that makes sense, though, because if you have this kind of goes to an episode or three back, I can't remember which one it is. And if you can either go to episode one and listen forward, the uh, we've talked about ecologies. And if you're going weirdness, there is an ecology of the weirdness, right? Where if you have barrier peaks, there's a reason why the spaceship is there Um, in a good weirdness campaign. The ones I've read or seen, there's a reason why it's there, even if. The game the three of us played with Frank Messer when he ran um, his one uh, game. I don't want to give it away per se for everybody, but it was the game within a game, Alex. You remember? Uh, I do. And there, it's weird, but there was a reason behind the weirdness. It took us a bit to get to what the reason was and so forth. But the fact is that there is an ecology, if you will, behind that weirdness that as the game master, you're adhering to. Not always. It's, not necessarily always it, if, you, if you suck as a game master, but if it's so Brett's opinion is that if, if the weirdness is going on and it's happening according to an, I'm using the phrase ecology here because it's the only one that's coming to come to my mind right now, but it adds a level of consistency so that if Alex and Sean are playing with me, they can figure out, okay, the androids are doing X. The aliens are doing this or this weird green thing that says it's from Alpha Centauri is doing Y. And you can figure out where it fits. Even if you're like, okay, this is weirdness, but there's a reason for it somewhere behind the scenes. If you understand it to be that uh, as apart from just some whacked out wand of wonder BS, I think that adds a level of credibility to the weirdness in your game. Can't argue with that. It's got to make sense. All right. Let's, yeah, <laughs> Which is it. goofy when you say weird. When you say it's got to be weirdness, but it has to make sense, right? It, it feels like a, it feels like a, like it's contradictory, but 
but I think it does. I think it has to jive. Yeah, I can't can't agree with that more. I mean, uh, th- it, we'll see what they do with uh, the next 5e product, the big one that's hitting. I think uh, Prince of the Apocalypse is going now. I think the the next one is out of out of the abyss. Uh, they're they're big. Uh, they're, module super module adventure path hardbound adventure and it's a underdark uh setting and i believe and i i may be wrong about this but i believe there there is an alice in wonderland element to it and uh i really hope they do that well because uh i did uh, that's kind of a hollowed ground you know (laughs) for the the old D &D players you know through the looking glass and beyond the magic mirror I think that actually harkens to a point that Sean and I had the other you know, a couple lunches back at work. We we're talking about how weirdness seems to be tied to the whole OSR concept. I don't know nobody no one I have met yet plays Knights Black Agents with weirdness. Apart from the fact that they're freaking vampires and vampires are weird enough as it is. But there's a logic behind you know, it's it's vampire, so you get that. And Cthulhu has Cthulhu, so it's branded as it is. Top Secret doesn't normally lend itself to weirdness. Pendragon has its own genre of what what's acceptable, Green Knights and so forth. But the whole weirdness thing to me that I'm seeing more popular online, and maybe it's just the circles I'm running in, uh, Google Plus and on uh, Facebook, that it seems to be more of an OSR thing. Sean, do, is there anything? So I guess that what Alex was saying about 5e, some people have hearkened 5e to um, touching the OSR crowd. And maybe that, maybe this concept of if it's got a uh, Alice in Wonderland piece of it ties together. But Sean, what do you think? Is there is, does the OSR have a hook into weirdness that other that some of the more modern games just flat don't have? I think that there is a a well, emphasis may not be the correct word. I usually often suggest the word and then say it's not the correct word. So I would say that there is a. See. Some limited vocabulary, Sean. <laughs> I don't have word of the day. I got to subscribe to that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would have to say that there is a, um, some in some games and uh, maybe one-offs, that there may be a uh, drive to the unknown or to keep players, uh, like the mis- mystery, right? And keeping players on their toes to knock, it's not, all right, your first level and you're going to run into goblins and kobolds and then you're going to level up and you're going to run into orcs and ogres and, you know, and then you're going to level up and you're going to run into mind flayers. And, you know, it's like all the D&D stuff can be a little redundant if you've played for 20 years and it's the classic monsters. And that's okay if that's your spiel. But, you know, there's some like DCC that t- tries to spice that up because, you know, when... I was talking about this in another episode where you throw like humanoids with different heads from different animals at a party. They don't know what the hell that is. They haven't read that damn monster manual. You know, if you bring up a monster that you've created that is just, you know, kind of wackiness, then it's kind of like, oh shit, we don't know what the hell these guys do. Maybe, you know, it's funny. If you've ever played, you ever played Serious Sam, Brett? I have not. Alex, you computer gamer? Uh, I've never played Serious Sam. Serious Sam was a, going off on a tangent here, but the video game land land gamers um, that I'm talking to, Serious Sam was an, I, it was an awesome game to the point of 
really, really awesome graphics produced by a group out of, uh, oh, geez, um, not Serbia, Yugoslavia. What's the? Not not pertinent to story. Continue on. Anyways. <laughs> um, but it, the thing was, I mean, you'd have all kinds of, I mean, it was just a first person shooter and all you did as a group is just go through these one scene after the other, just like kicking ass. And it had all a bunch of different characters, but the 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 creatures were crazy. Like you had guys that were humanoid male figures, like with bowling balls and and chains for arms, and they would just come yelling at you without any heads, and it would be like, Aah! and you just like shoot them with your shotgun. But they're just wacky creatures in mass coming at you. And the thing was, you're like, holy shit, I don't know what the hell this thing is, but I got to blow it away. And so some of that element in an RPG can, if your group is open to that, make it really, I don't know if fantastical is the word, again, I don't know. Well, I think that I think it harkens <laughs> back to what Alex had said at the kind of early onset here is where it's like if you're playing in a Shinara setting where there's post-apocalyptic and this is how it's involved. I never knew uh, that. And like, I read like the first book. I never realized that. <clears throat> yeah. And if I'm playing in a uh, Mad Max environment and there's some weird thing where I'm playing even um, shit, uh, Gamma World has weirdness. I mean, there's mutants oh, and yeah. mutants and uh, craziness involved. But that's the thing with Gamma World, though. That comes with the territory. I mean, they don't yeah. call it Gamma World because it's, you know, Lord of the Rings world. If you read, if you read Dungeon Crawl Classics, it comes with that territory. If you read Lamentations of the Flame Princess, what I've researched through it, it comes with that territory. If you pick up a D and D, it talks about it in the old appendix, like, hey, I Gary Gygax read these books, and there's some weirdness involved in it, but through the Looking Glass and Beyond the Magic Mirror and th- those some of the craziness involved in that was built into some of the modules, but not necessarily st- – how do I want to do this? It's not official uh, – it's not like it's not canon because it's all part of the gray hockey type of universe. But it was – you could take it out, right? You could have you could run one of those wacky things. <clears throat> Even if you played – what was it, Alex? The uh, Is it Return to Castle Greyhawk, the one uh, module where you you like Bugs Bunny's in there and there's wacky just insanity? Oh, I know. I don't remember. I know what you're talking uh, about, though. I've tried to I, put that I one remember. behind me. There's, 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 I remember the Keith Parkinson cover of these wonky monsters, like tongues lolling out, running out of the dungeon. Yeah, it's turned to Castle Greyhawk, and there's Could just be. yeah, and there's just weird cartoony crap in that in that thing. It's weird, right? But you could discard it wholesale. You could say, look, I don't like any weirdness, so fuck, boom, boom, boom. Anything that looks like an Alice in Wonderland gone doesn't exist in my world. Um, but I think when you're playing, like, to your point, Gamma World has it, DCC, you read it, has it, Lamentations has it, and when you try to, and if you're going to take your Greyhawk game and slide some weirdness into it, or your Forgotten Realms, and slide in some weirdness, or even, <clears throat> I don't know, forget, Rollmaster, Middle Earth, anything, you try to mash things up, you need to... And today's modern discerning gamer, I think you need to broadcast that ahead of time. Otherwise, you're going to, as Alex said, you're going to risk some serious, um, uh, I think you're going to have a revolt. Blowback. <laughs> well, you know, what, one of the games that we play uh, periodically at the game hole is one of the guys runs a Weird War 2 Savage Worlds game. Josh Hoyt! 
exactly. And we know exactly what we're getting into with that. You know, it's all right, here's, here's, what's, here's, what's, here's what's coming, and uh, great, and you're, you know it, and so there's no surprise about you know, weird shit happening because that's what's supposed to happen, or at least to some, to some extent. So I, I hear you. I, I think so too. I think there's no reason to, to, to spring stuff, uh, especially if it's going to be a campaign altering. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you might have some, some disaffected players. That's kind of an interesting thing. I've been I've been playing since third grade, and what I'm 42 now, so it's been a long time. Oh my god, Grandpa! And got him old. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that it used to be. Oh boy, that this type of thing you could you could do the bait and switch. I think it was almost encouraged in a way. You started off kind of normal, and then blam, you got thrown into something weird, like Frank did to the three of us, plus some other folks in that game, where it started off kind of normal, and then wham, it got really weird on us. Um, I think that was kind of par for the course for that OSR type of feel, but your more modern, not necessarily game, but gamer with limited amount of time, men, women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, or what have you, like, look, you know, I, I showed up to game. What's this game about? Oh, it's about weirdness. It's the Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Oh, it's about Expedition to Barrier, Barrier Peaks. That's not my cup of tea, Alex. I'm going to bail out of this game. I'll come back to something else. I think that it used to be, you know, when I think back to when I was a kid and someone threw one of those whacked out adventures at me, you didn't, I didn't have any freaking choice. You know, I had one guy who was a game master in high school and if Eric was running it, that's what we played that night. Yeah. Well, I makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the, the one horse town, man, you're on that one horse. <laughs> exactly. So Alex, well, let me ask you this. So when, when was the, what was the, what was your first, when did they break your weirdness cherry, dude? When, what was the weirdest, what was the first time you encountered weirdness in your RPGs? Well, you know, if you look back at it, I think this, I have the same experience that you did. When you look back at what the shit you were running when you were a kid, it was pretty weird. Because it, you didn't know any better. That's so, true. It's a fucking so, beholder. What is that? Yeah, right next door to a room where there's an ancient red dragon. That makes perfect sense to a 12-year-old, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But that's pretty damn weird. Uh, so once you start, if you're going to start on that path, I don't know, and it's hard to actually think of a moment that I've been confronted when I think, wow, that's really weird because there's so much weirdness already in gaming, uh, and especially from, uh, from the early days. But um, – yeah, I think the first again the first one that when I read uh, the, for the first time was the uh, th- uh, Beyond the Magic Mirror, and I read that and thought, God, can you really do this in a D and D setting in a child? And so that for me that was it. I, that was the first time I experienced anything like that. Uh, all those many years ago in the in the uh, late '80s when I read that. You know that that's actually an interesting point is that, and this I think goes to Sean's piece of weirdness helps make old jaded bastards like the three of us like oh my god this is crazy new again because they're like oh it's a it's a sphere with 10 eyes it's either a freaking beholder or a gas or aping a beholder mm-hmm. or or a spectator or the aquatic version of spectator or 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 because i've got all this stuff so the first time you one of us would have encountered you know a rock or some crazy monster out of uh the the Fiend Folio or something, or Sons of Caius, that is as wacky as those things are, worms crawling out of them, leaping on you and, and burrowing into your heart and so forth. That's weird. It's freaking crazy. And um, I think some of the the mashup where the Barrier Peaks comes and Dungeon Crawl Classics and stuff is taking those weirdness components up to 11, if you will, and so that it makes it a little more interesting. Hmm. I think that's why there's a, you know, almost invariably a new monster section and every every uh 
every module that you buy for that very reason. You know, I think the author wants to present something that's new and surprising to the to the players, and that's yeah, yeah, that's that's a and well, and we have it in ours. We, there's a new a new monster that Ed Greenwood invented in in our module, and it's it's cool, and I think that's uh, that's that's fun to do that kind of stuff, uh, but. We're not dropping. You're not taking the whole campaign, a, a bunch of elves, dwarves, and halflings, and and you know, and you're you're all of a sudden immersing them in a traveler setting. You know, that's that, for me. That's just too far. But uh, if if uh, a, a little oddness and a little weirdness sprinkled in that has some some t- uh, some uh, bearing on reality, whatever that reality is, as you said, makes sense with the ecology. That's great. That's gaming. You should have some of that. All right. So if you're playing with weirdness. In your group, how do you how do you incorporate it? How do you define it? How do you define it? Anything else, Brad? No, oh. I just want to throw that. How do you there. define it? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, tell us. You know, maybe it's not weird. Maybe weird is kind of like status quo. Could e- be. Email us. Smoke signal us. Whatever. Google it is. Plus community the whole bit. Yeah, you know the spiel. Let's get into die roll. Let's do it. Hey, die roll. All right, die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of of gaming and geekery we want to share with you, listener. Brett has one. I have four. And then Alex, of course. But Alex is a guest. Yeah, I'm I'm short shrifted this time here. So I was uh, I was out camping with uh, my two boys. The three of us were talking about this off air. And uh, apart from wanting to murder both of them at one point because they were being little snots, but... We had uh, had the opportunity to play Talisman, just kind of want to reground the three of us. We sat down and played Talisman. I can't believe I won. I don't remember the last time I won Talisman. And I sure as hell can't remember the last time a game of Talisman took less than eight hours. Normally, a game of Talisman with three or more players will take, it's all day. You start your break for lunch. You start at breakfast, you break for lunch, you wrap it up maybe around dinner time. It's a long-ass game. And we didn't play with any expansions or anything like that, but it was uh, it was actually kind of a hoot. I can't believe I pulled it off. I normally never, ever win Talisman, so that was fun. Oh, the other piece I should throw out there is I did get to introduce uh, my oldest son to The Duke, which is one of my favorite board games. Two players, kind of a uh, modified chess, if you will, and that was a lot of fun. He kicked my ass, but it was fun. It was a good game. He's a hell of a – he's got a really good strategy brain, so. Alex, have you played The Duke? I have not. Neither have I. Have I. All right, I'm gonna bring it to game hole. We're gonna play. Yeah, I think, cool. Yeah. All right, man. Sounds good. Thanks. I have played Talisman, and I know th- your assessment is spot on. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun, but after 12 hours, you just kind of got this like glazed look in your eyes, like please, please, somebody fucking win. <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy, my buddy Jimmy's got I think all the expansions, and he ran it for uh, GaryCon. Yeah, he's a lunatic. I, you know, I have those expansions, and I once just pulled them all out and looked at them all, and then I put them back in the box and said, "No, no, base game, plenty." <laughs> I played. A friend of mine had the old second edition version, and he had. There were five separate expansions, and we played that game for fourteen hours straight one time. And finally, it was just, it was just like we're going to finish this. We're going to finish it, and we never did. We finally just got to the point where we said, "Fuck it, let's just go drinking," and that's what we did. Anyway, Sean, your turn, man. All right, so Deniable RPG, Shane Freeman, BSer, brought this to our attention. Mark Knights did a review of Deniable, and this is in uh, reference to our realism in RPGs. So this is a game of unwitting spies tempted by easy money, and it's on drive-thru. So I think um, 
It also uh, matches with a modern setting too. I mean, yeah, well, that's what he said, modern, right? Well, you with, said you said realism, so that's why oh, it kind of threw me off. Oh, my mistake. It's I think his, uh, yeah, he was talking about the modern game we were referring to without any twists. Correct. Yeah. So that's, and I think it's like, uh, yeah, unwitting spies tempted by easy money. So I think if you play a normal person that gets like yanked into the the underworld of spying, espionage. Sweet. Yeah, check it out. Link in the show notes. Uh, found this one on G Plus through Brandon Hollingsworth. Shared from ML Banner, part one, book launch planning. If you are a author that wants to kind of kickstart their publishing authorship, this is a G Plus post. Okay, so it's not a... I guess it could be considered a blog because you can use G plus the blog, but they posted this on how you would want to kind of promote publishing your first book. So it's, uh, I think the article I linked to is just part one. So if you're interested and you're pursuing writing, being an author, it's something you want to check out. Very cool. Not specific to RPGs, mind you, but maybe it could be, but I think it's more or less to fiction. All right, or or nonfiction. Number three, top ten most shameful RPG dice. Shameful RPG dice. Yes, there is a fine line between dice being special and dice being stupid. I'll say stupid. Here uh, now are ten of the dumbest dice ever constructed for role playing games. Check it out. Link in the show notes. It's at toplessrobot.com. He's got the D100 in there. I see it. Okay, good. All right, carry on. Yes. Number four, Mr. Star Wars. Yeah, this is the Mr. Star Wars episode. Apparently. Yeah. D&D is booming online, right, in ways that you wouldn't think, which is online. Um, It's an article on polygon.com. It's, quote, it's been an almost... It's been almost a year since the Player's Handbook launched and over a year for the starter set. Mike Merles mentions uh, Polygon. And we're definitely ahead of projections. PHB is in its fourth printing. It's a good article. It talks about, I mean, think about that. I mean, they're not, they haven't put out a ton of splat books, man. It's the core and adventures. Am I right, Alex? That's right. Well, there have been no splat books. Right. What I would define as a splat book. You know, no Absolutely. skills, powers, meow, meow, none of that stuff. Yeah. Meow, meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other, other fill in, fill in splant book titles here. The, the complete blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, meow, you know, meow. We've talked, Sean and I have talked about this before. And, you know, say what you want about. We talk D&D. a lot of shit about, about if you're not, a lot if of you're shit. Not into, if you're not into D&D, you like other games, that's fine. But D&D is a wonderful gateway drug into this hobby. I mean, it's just a great way to find out. Okay, this is there, and you start listening to different folks, guys like Sean and I. You start looking on, lurking around on Facebook posts or Google Plus posts. You hit a con or two, you see some really cool, sexy games out there. It's it's great that D and D, that most popular name in our hobby, is is doing well, and people are coming to it. They're grabbing it, and what's going to happen is they're going to go there, and then they're going to end up somewhere like Night Witches. They're going to move into another game at some point. They're gonna they're going to hear about it. Well, five E's. Gosh, I, you're absolutely right. There, there is nothing better for whatever kind of game that you're into 
but for the gaming industry to have D&D be a strong brand. It just has to be. That's, that's, that's a big deal for our industry. Uh, and to have 5e be as good as it is, and I think it's a great game. Uh, is has been pretty cool. I'm so pleased that they that they actually did it. You know, after after all the hype and all the play testing and stuff, they put together a really good rule set. And we we play it. You know, I play five E once a week. I think it's grand. Yeah, I was really. I I mean, Sean, I talked about this before on on air. I was really worried about it. Like, oh God, there's no way. There's no way. I've played it a number of times now. I freaking love it. I love that game. A lot of fun. Yeah. So that's all uh, that I have, Alex. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, yeah. You asked me to come up with some things I thought were interesting on the, the interwebs, and uh, one that uh, crossed my browser was uh, a uh, an article on EN World uh, called uh, "Is the Conpocalypse Nigh?" and it was really a discussion of uh, Gen Con and Comic Con and these these massive ma- uh, Uber cons and how they keep growing. Uh, at really astonishing rates, and where where does it all go, and where, where how is it going to end up? Uh, specifically with Gen Con, you know, I was there a few weeks ago, and uh, they have absolutely maxed out that 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 building, uh, the uh, the surrounding areas. Uh, they it's going to be a, to a point where the the, the city is going to step in, <laughs> and fire marshals are going to say you can't put seventy thousand people in that convention center. Yeah, uh, I mean it's, it was you and sixty thousand of your closest gamer friends. It's I mean crazy, it's crazy. And so that's what the, the they said. So where's this all going, and what's the what's this what's the end look like? And they're talking about the proliferation of smaller cons, and uh, you know, is that what people are going to do? Are they going to are people peeling off from from uh, from Gen Con and going to other and uh, particularly gratifying were the notes uh, and uh, comments afterwards where people were mentioning Archon, Gary Con, and North Texas RPG as, as uh, cons that they prefer because it's uh, more of a, a gaming convention. You can actually play games there. You know, if you go to Gen Con and you you somehow press your way through the dealer hall and you find a game that you want to buy and you buy it, there's no damn place to play it. I mean, you, you, it's, you can't even go to a restaurant because they're so full. I mean, it's, it's nuts. And... Uh, and I still enjoy Gen Con for what it's worth, but it's not for the high-quality gaming. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And the, uh, uh, the other thing I should have mentioned here, and I should have put a, sent a post to you, and our, it's our, uh, the uh, Kickstarter that's going strong uh, from our friend uh, Ernie Gygax Jr., his Hobby Shop Dungeon. Uh, he has uh, a setting that he and his partner, uh, Benoit, have been building for years. They've been working on it very carefully, uh, and it's it's pretty cool. It's a, 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 an old-school Gygaxian uh, setting, uh, uh, castle, essentially, tomb, and uh, it's kicking ass on Kickstarter, and I'm so happy for them because they've worked really hard on it. Uh, and they're unlike a lot of Kickstarters, they're actually ready to deliver this thing. Uh, that's that's cool. So good for them, and I hope they they keep blowing the doors off on that. Very cool. Yeah, Sweet. awesome, man. Anything else, Sean? No, man, I'm good. No, I'm good. Are you good? I'm good, Alex. Thank you, dude, for joining, man. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, thanks, guys. As always, we, uh, we yeah, exactly. Appreciate exactly. it. Jesus. Oh shit, Sean. Oh shit, Sean's here too. Sean's this is still a, here. This is fucking gaming <laughs> and B. dick thanks guys alright so uh, yeah thanks for joining us Alex much appreciated welcome back anytime appreciate it but uh, otherwise I don't know Brett let's close this sucker I think we're good 
So this has been an episode of Gaming and BS. If you have comments or you want to write in, by all means, email, Twitter, G+, Facebook, um, and, and let us know. Otherwise, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good game and all.